All right. Well, welcome everybody to episode four of the RF Generation Collector Cast. Um, as usual, I am your host, Duke Togo, and joining me is my wonderful co-host, Crabmaster2000. Glad to have you on board again, Crabby. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's um, it's been not quite a month since the last episode, so maybe we'll surprise some folks with a, a little bit faster going here. Yeah, let's keep it moving. Since the last time we kind of, uh, in the last two episodes, talked about online collecting and uh, local collecting, uh, we're going to kind of uh, wrap some of that up here today and then get on to a new topic. All right, so let's talk about the uh, small scores for this last few weeks. Um, uh, pretty impressive stuff there, huh? As usual, yeah. It's been great last few months, but this one in particular, there's some nice stuff once again. Yeah, I mean, it looks like um, Bill must be mortgaging his house or something to buy some <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah, episode five will will be aptly named uh, the Wild Bill Collector Cast, I think. <laughs> yeah, so he's just going to take over the whole site, and it'll be his show. <laughs> We did have several people with some really good scores this month. Kind of uh, starting out, I noticed that uh, In Rainbows had uh, some complete in-box games. Yeah, and like I said, last time he grabbed TurboGrafx stuff, I was impressed, and he grabbed another one this time, uh, Legendary Axe 2 for the TurboGrafx. Now, is that a hard one to find? Um, I think it's kind of middle of the road. Okay. Um, but um, it's definitely a nice pickup. Yeah, the first one's the pretty common, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've I've not played, so uh, have you played Legendary Axe? I played the first one, not the second one. Is it a good game? It's a fun one, yeah. Cool, cool. He also picked up a couple other things, right? Uh, yeah, Dynamite Heady for the Genesis Complete in Box, um, Secret of Mana for the Super NES. Yeah, most that's a, that's a heavy hitter, right? Yeah, most people love, well, Super NES RPGs in general are a good score, so. Yeah, and he also picked up a couple NES titles. Yeah, some good ones. Uh, Final Fantasy, Bubble Bobble, Excite Bike, all solid titles. Yeah, you love the black box. Yeah, Final Fantasy box is one of my favorite. I love the box art on there. Really? Yeah. That is one of the fewer complete games that I own. Me too. I bought it when they were like super discounting all the NES titles at a local store. I've only ever found three boxed NES games locally, and that was one of them. Yeah? Yeah. I uh, I bought that one and the re-release of Zelda new uh, on, on the clearance. I think I did pretty well. <laughs> I think I paid like two bucks a piece. Wow, nice. Yeah, did, I should have. If I had the intelligence not to open them, I would have been <laughs> a little better off. <laughs> oh well. Also, a uh, local buddy of mine here, Hungry Moose, uh, picked up some pretty cool stuff. Looks like he got uh, some loose Famicom carts, some nice little odds and ends in there. Now, is that due to your nudging? Are you trying to push him into the Famicom world? <laughs> uh, no, I think, you know, we've got some friendly competition that goes on. And, uh, no, he's kind of been into his own thing for a little while. He likes to pick those things up. Uh, he kind of collects a little bit of everything. And uh, one of these days I'm going to steal the uh, boxed Gardic guide in that he has, which is the Japanese version of uh, the Guardian Legend. And, okay. But the box art on the Japanese version is so much more amazing than the crazy <laughs> crap we got. Yeah, the North American one's kind of boring. 
Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all when you play the <laughs> game at, at all. But yeah, he's uh, he picks up some of those kind of carts just here and there as he finds things. Um, I don't know if it's like a super hard focus for him, but seems to be getting more into it. Right on. He also picked up one of the only unlicensed carts I have any interest in, the Tengen Tetris. Yeah, I think that's... Um, honestly, I I like that one better than Nintendo Tetris, and I, I really like Tetris, so it's um, that's really saying something. Yeah, I would love to find a place for that one in my house. Yeah, and that one's gotten really pretty affordable, I think, considering. Yeah, lots of other prices of Spike. That one's kind of stayed steady for quite a while now. Yeah, I remember when that cart was going for, you know, 250 in box, 100 bucks loose, and now it's kind of settled right around, what, like 40 50 bucks, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so you know, definitely something worth picking up. It's um, Even if it's just a game to play, it's, it's a really good version of Tetris. Absolutely. And speaking of the Wild Bill show... <laughs> <laughs> knocked off what like almost 10 percent of the nes library there all in one go you know just, <laughs> just piddling around nothing to do yeah why well, did he get uh 47 box nes games from 10 star yeah and and they look like they're all in really good shape too yeah and um i noticed a couple a little harder to find ones in there like race america yeah it took me a long time to find down just a loose cart for Race America. So, you know, finding one complete in box, that's pretty tough. And what's the other one? Crash and the Boys? Yeah, Crash and the Boys, which is um, one of those Cuneo Coon games, which is, you know, kind of like the River City Ransom stuff. Yeah, I like the style on those games. They look awesome. Yeah, those are those are pretty cool. Picked up a lot of other good playable games in there, too. Yeah, and I mean, uh, like you said, they all look really good. Yeah, Star Tropics, Kickle Cubicle. There's lots of... Lots of good stuff to play. Definitely. He's really gotten into the in-box collecting, and I've, I've picked a couple up to kind of help him along the way. And, I, you know, I have got a healthy respect for you cardboard guys, but it's okay. I'm, I'm trying to stay away from the dark side a whole, <laughs> lot, whole lot. And uh, I would say my nomination for the steal of, of the show is uh, Razor Knuckles. Yeah, I don't think he's got any competition this month. And I'm not a big N64 guy, but I know you enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, I love it. And is this like the hardest title to find? It seems to be, yeah. It seems to be the rarest one, the most expensive one, and it's just got that kind of hype behind it too. Yeah, so it's Clay Fighter's Sculptor's Cut, 33 and a third, right? 63 and a third, yeah. 63 and a third. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And what is the difference? I mean, what makes this one so rare? Um, this one was a Blockbuster exclusive, and it had four extra characters in it, I think. Don't quote me on that. But I, but I know uh, Earthworm Jim was one of the uh, playable characters in it, which was not in the original release. Oh, I see. Now, um, I've never played a Clay Fighters game. Are, are they any good? They're fun. I, like, I've, I've got the cartoon. I've played it several times. Um, I like them. They're, they're really goofy. If, oh, you, okay. if you're looking for a serious fighter like Mortal Kombat Street Fighter... You're not going to find it. I don't think they've got much depth in them either, but uh, the characters are fun. The, their moves are fun. It's just a goofy thing to mess around with. So when you go to your, your fighting game meetups and tournaments, there's nobody busting out the clay fighter? No, nobody mentions it. <laughs> <laughs> you should bring that up next time. I might have to bring it along with me. Like who's down for some clay fighter? And <laughs> <laughs> watch them kick your ass straight out of there. Yeah. So the Grooves had a few good pickups this last month too several different ones 
Yeah, I know. Uh, I saw kind of the the thing in his little magic tucked inside the NASCAR Thunder box there. I find in the Pikmin 2 disc instead. Yeah, that's a nice surprise. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I need to start looking inside some more NASCAR Thunder <laughs> games. <laughs> that's probably some pretty dedication if you are digging through that many games to find the one tucked inside of something like that. Yeah, I don't know if he, he looked through it and found it or if he just bought the lot and got lucky, but that's a good find. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess if I was going to try to hide a game in a store uh, and so I could come back and grab it later, that would be a great way to do it. <laughs> yeah? Just, yeah, put it inside like a sports game and you can pretty much guarantee it'll be there next time you come <laughs> back. <laughs> also got uh, some black box NES games, right? Yeah, yeah, some a couple Donkey Kong games, uh, Mario, Duck Hunt, I think Mario Bros. 2. Yeah, Donkey Kong Jr., right? Um, yeah, Jr., and just the Donkey Kong Wizard, or Classics, I can't remember. Um, it wasn't math, though, it wasn't the really exciting one, but they're still nice to find. Yeah, I, it's a great look, and you know, that's the funny thing, it's so iconic. I do check in, like, on the um, Xbox Live Indie games every once in a while. And everybody just completely rips off that that iconic look for like the titles of their games, you know, like uh-huh. the cover. So you'll always see like these, you know, it's black box wannabe, um, and that's the 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 art they're using for their game. So that's that's really cool. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, pretty iconic. I've seen quite a few games do that. So um, definitely stands out. He picked a couple other good titles up, though, right? Yeah, among, among the other things, he grabbed uh, Mega Man 5 and 6 for the NES. Both awesome titles and worth a few bucks each. Right, and 5 is the trickiest one, right? Yeah, I think so. It definitely goes for the most. Yeah, I've um, I've had my Mega Mans for quite some time, so um, I thought I remember saying that that one was a little bit pricier. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Mega Man fan myself, so I made sure I had all six of them before I had my first 100 NES games. They're just so they're just fantastic. I yeah. mean, I, I really, I don't know. I I, I don't, not really would feel safe trying to do a top ten NES, but I mean, <laughs> those would be in that area for me. Me too. Yeah, hands down. One of our fairly newer uh, guys on board was Ahub Ten. Looks like he found a uh, another hard to find N sixty four boxed game, right? Yeah, you had a few box ones, but the, the kind of gem in there was uh, Castlevania Legacy of Darkness. Now, that one uh, is the harder to find of the ones on the N64, right? Yeah, if I I believe it's a, a re-release of the original one with some added content to it. So it's obviously a later release is why I'm assuming it didn't uh, do as well. Oh, I gotcha. And uh, I, we talked a little bit before the show. You said you kind of enjoyed those? Yeah, I seem to be one of the few people that didn't mind the, the N64 Castlevania games. Yeah, I thought they were an atrocity. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember when they were new, playing them right through to the end. I love me some Castlevania, and those are not Castlevania. <laughs> There's something. I won't say what, but... Um, <laughs> uh, and moving on, okay, one that I am particularly a little jealous of was uh, Red McKnight's nice boxed, a stack-up set for the Famicom. Yeah, that thing's beautiful. It, it looks like a promotional shot the way he took it. Like, <laughs> yeah, awesome. that's uh, really fantastic. I mean, I've got the stack-up cart. I don't have the little doodads for Rob. Um, I don't know if I'll ever invest in that because 
I'll face it, the game sucks. <laughs> but uh, really cool, really neat to see that. And I kind of like, um, like on the box and and stuff. They've you know, their their rod was cut a little differently than ours, and, and it looks pretty cool. Absolutely, no arguments here. Who else did we have here grabbing some stuff? Um, Shadow Kisaragi grabbed a few PlayStation games, and the, the interesting one in there was uh, Diablo. That one's pretty valuable these days, and it's a it's a fun game. You don't get too many good dungeon crawlers on uh, consoles. Yeah, it kind of strikes me that that one they even really bothered to port that to PlayStation. I I played it years ago, and it seemed like a a solid port of the game. Now, was there a PS One mouse? I think there was, wasn't there? I'm not sure. Couldn't hmm. say. I wonder if that was compatible. My my brain somewhere wants to tell me there was one. So that would be kind of curious to see if you could play that with a mouse. If I'm wrong, then, I don't know, somebody could skewer me or I'll edit this out later so I'll sound <laughs> smarter. <laughs> we'll find out. Sounds good. And then uh, Sir Psycho uh, joined the um, Red McKnight Club, right? Oh, yeah, the, the Power Glove team. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a an awesome dual power glove battle video or something. Absolutely, some Ring King action or something like that. Or I want a new rap. So, uh, Psycho, if you're listening to this, I I had died laughing <laughs> at your last video with the rap uh, with, like, the Burger King crown and whatnot. I really want another one. So um, do me a favor, make me laugh again, and um, do something with the power glove. <laughs> uh, he picked up that uh, neat little Suikoden uh, art cell, too. Yeah, he did. Um, I, did he say how he came across that? I think it was an eBay auction, wasn't it? Um, I don't know. I don't remember uh, how he... I just remember seeing like the picture of it. I'm, I'm very beautiful. Yeah, it looks really cool. It'd be easy to find a spot for it in most game rooms. Yeah, it makes me wonder I mean, if that was just a um, a Japanese giveaway or if that was something that was here in the States too or what. I don't know. I didn't look too closely at it. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be kind of curious to see. Also, just as we're going to press with this episode... I don't even know why. That doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> it sure but, did. Uh, uh, I don't know. We're not in print. <laughs> <laughs> They'll understand. But uh, good old Zach Norwich found him a uh, a complete copy of Samba de Amigo for the Japanese Dreamcast, like with the maracas and everything. Yeah, that's a weird find. I think he got it at a Goodwill or something, too. Yeah, and cheap? Eight bucks or something, yeah. Yeah, I found... I saw a guy selling that locally... A while back, and he, I think he was asking like a hundred bucks for it. So, I mean, that's a really fantastic deal. Yeah, like import stuff locally is just awesome, and when it's a cool game like that, you can't complain. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there too, um, Norch. I I would like to see a video of you doing the Samba de Amigo <laughs> while rapping. <laughs> there we go. Maybe we can just get you guys to tag team on a video or something. <laughs> that would be awesome. I think that you ended a little bit of a drought this month, right? Yeah, you guys have heard me whining the last couple episodes that uh, I haven't got a whole lot in. Uh, I got a nice little surprise box in the mail from Wild Bill, helping me out um, with my NES collection. Sent uh, Goal 2 and uh, Adam's Family Pugsley Scavenger Hunt up here. That's pretty good. Uh, It took me a while to find uh, Pugsley's. Yeah, both Uncommon Games and... uh, was very surprised and excited to to open that box up. And then you helped me out. You've been uh, hoarding a few things for me for a while, and <laughs> I had you do me a couple favors too, so that finally came in, and I got my copy of Gun Knack that I ordered a while ago off eBay. 
and you hooked me up with that beautiful signed assimilate uh, signed by the the developer there john white john's a really cool guy and um i, I see him pretty regular i'm gonna i'll actually see him tomorrow he's coming over to the house so we'll we'll play some classic gaming and i'll pick his brain um we'll let him know i i really enjoyed his game i played it right through and i i plan to play it again eventually I will do, and um, my hope is to maybe get him on for the an interview on the show here soon. I'd be excited to do that. Yeah, so anyone that's uh, interested in homebrews, um, check out Assimilate. It was awesome. Yeah, I think he has a few more copies left for sale. Um, if you guys are interested, um, I would say buy it now, because I don't know if there will be another run. He'd probably have to have a pretty decent amount of orders ready to do another set. Right. And we're kind of skipping uh, over probably one pretty big thing in your house. Yeah, I wanted to save it to last. Um, it's probably my favorite pickup I've ever gotten locally. Ever. Really? That's, that's your favorite? I think so, yeah. I can't think of anything that, that even comes close to topping it. But I picked up a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1989 Konami four-player JAMA cab off of uh, Kijiji locally. Now, that's crazy that you would find something like that. Was it a guy's house or something? Yeah, so this guy was renting a pretty big place, and he, he finally bought his own house, and he had two cabinets in the basement. He had a, a turtle's cab, and he had a Tetris cabinet. And so he had to choose which one he wanted to take to the new house with him. And I, I would have been happy with either cabinet, but uh, I'm really happy with the turtle's one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So he chose poorly. Well, I, th- I think his choice was influenced by a couple issues that the cabinet had, like the two of the coin mechs weren't working and the the wires were crossed for some of the characters. So okay. like you'd, you'd put a coin in uh, slot one, it would give a credit to character three, and then when you played with character three, you'd be playing with actually character four. Yeah, but that's probably just swapping some connectors on the JAMA board, right? Yeah, I spent an hour cleaning it up, and I've got it all running now. So I, I don't know if he just didn't know what to do or not, but uh, it was an easy fix, and I, I think I got it for a decent price. I'm really happy with what I paid, uh, which was four fifty. That's I think that's a, a steal for a big cab like that. Yeah, and it's it's one that I, I grew up with and that uh, my son's really excited to play. We're, we play it every couple of days, so I've already beaten the thing like a dozen times. It's awesome. So do you love turn it on and just hearing the the theme song playing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys singing along? Brings me back. And you probably didn't talk about the most important thing I think you got in the last month. I'm oh kind of heartbroken. Is that is that my new T-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> is that it what is. you're referencing? <laughs> yeah, man. What you don't want to tell the folks about your T-shirt? Well, I was just gonna post an awesome picture instead, so everyone oh. can see it. Oh, I see, yeah. So uh, so watch for uh, an awesome photo on the forums. It'll be coming up here soon. Oh, yeah, he's going to pose and model for us, folks. All right, so we covered my awesome stuff this month. What did you end up with? I got a few kind of cool odds and ends, I think. Um, I finally picked up a 3DO. Uh, never owned a 3DO before, so... That surprises me, because you've got some uh, obscure systems like CDIs and stuff. Yeah, I just um, had never run into a good deal for one, so I I don't have any special love for it. I had a friend uh, when I was in the 90s, you know, when it had come out and was pretty popular that blew, you know, way too much money on it, 
and had a bunch of games for it. We'd go over his house and we'd play, but it always struck me as like one of those systems where it was like couldn't really figure out how to be a good game system. It was okay. Uh, so I never had any kind of secret love for it, but I just got a great deal, and I had to had to snag one, and it works great. So I uh, hope to maybe find some a couple of decent games to give a shot on it. Uh, right now I've just got some Madden, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nobody, nothing says exciting like really old Madden football. <laughs> but hey, I know it works. I guess that's the important part. There you go. Also got a little package from you. Uh, you had sent me a, a copy of Death Race that you had picked up while you were uh, down visiting Shadow down in Florida, right? Actually, that one I picked up on the way home while I was visiting my grandma. Oh, did you really? Yeah, that one's from Kelowna for you. Oh, I, well, I did not know that. That's uh, making a long round trip, I suppose. Yeah. That's uh, I've not plugged it in to really play it much, but it sounds interesting enough. I mean, with a title like Death Race, how, how could you go wrong? That one I actually played when I was a kid, and it's... Uh... It's interesting. It's fun. You might like it. You get to run people over? You definitely get to run people over or shoot them down, whichever you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> Does what it says on the tin, right? I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I picked a couple of Famicom things up. Uh, one game that I've really been wanting for a while is, um, and you have to excuse the pronunciation, I'm not Japanese, but Bio Miracle Bakuta Upa, uh, which is... It's a Konami game that only came out in Japan. It came out for the disc system, and then they released it again on cart later. And it's uh, basically like a, an action game, which Konami makes wonderful action games. But you're just you're a baby in this one, which sounds kind of <laughs> odd, but it's really fantastic. It's a really cool game. I really enjoy it. So if you guys aren't familiar with that one, definitely one worth tracking down. Not a cheap game, but really fun. Uh, I would highly recommend it. Uh, also just got in, actually today, uh, my uh, Twin Turbo Famicom. So it's um, it's a twin Famicom made by Sharp. Uh, it's got both you know the Famicom with cartridge and it's got the built-in disk drive. But the, they nickname this one, sometimes people call it kind of the Turbo because it's got the controllers that are built-in have a built-in Turbo Fire on it. So that was like the second revision that they made and pretty robust, nicely unit. Um, I'm pretty excited. I've got to go tomorrow and find a power supply that'll work for it, but I'm kind of itching to plug it in and give it a shot. So is that going to be the one you've got hooked up to play all the time? I don't know. I kind of bounce around. I've got a clone that sometimes I use. I'm not a f- super fan of it, but I kind of use it for testing. So that way I don't really care if I wear it out. And um, so far I've been doing all my playing on uh, the AV Famicom with the regular disc system, but I don't know. Maybe this won't become a regular player. I'll probably stick with AV Famicom, though, because it has the standard NES joystick ports. So um, the twin Famicom has built-in controllers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, also got a... Uh, after hearing you talk on, <laughs> on about the U-Force, and I don't know if we've necessarily talked on the show about it, but uh, we've... For those of you that behind the scenes, Krabby and I usually chit-chat um, through Skype off and on a bit. I've been hearing enough about the U-Force. I saw a great deal on one. I picked up a complete inbox U-Force. Just came in today, actually. That's awesome. We're going to have to have like a high score contest or something with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to assume that 
Um, it's like the connect of its day, so it's probably going to be pretty pretty bad. Yeah, that's a fairly good comparison. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I would say the the power glove is the is the move of its day, <laughs> and the U force is the connect of its day. Power pad is the the Wii Fit balance board. There you go. It's like everything is cyclical, <laughs> right? If if it, it, it if it came out on the NES, you're gonna see it again at some point in time. Well, even remember they had that Victor Max vir- virtual reality headset. Vaguely, yeah, I think I've seen pictures of it. Yeah, so I mean, you know, everybody's. I just heard today that you know, John Carmack or whatever is talking about the big future in gaming is gonna be virtual reality. So you know, those headsets are gonna come back and haunt us again. <laughs> nice. Uh, the Virtual Boy was just ahead of its time. Yeah, futuristic. I also got a copy of Romance of the Three Kingdoms 2 in from Bill. So thanks, Bill. I really appreciate that. I helped him out with a couple things, and he helped me out uh, on that one. It's a beautifully clean cartridge. looks really great. I also got in uh, an Australian-only NES title, International Cricket, which, I mean, that what sounds more exciting than cricket. <laughs> now, have you actually tried it? Um, I've not, uh, not plugged it. I mean, other than just to test it, I don't really know how to play cricket. So that's the problem. I think that's what I'd be curious about to see if you can, uh, figure it out, um, on your first try without, uh, any background info on it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll, uh, see if I can sit down and really kind of give it a play, uh, tomorrow. Maybe when John's over here, uh, we can see how stupid we are about, about cricket. (laughs) But I would think that a title like international cricket, wouldn't you think that maybe cricket would be a bigger game and that I would actually know more about it? Well, I think it's big everywhere except North America. Is it really? It's huge in Africa, I know. Um, Australia, I think it's fairly decent in Europe. I don't huh. know about Asia, though. Well, maybe I'll have to learn a little bit more about it. The other thing, though, that's an Australian release, and I bought it from a guy in France. So it's kind of been all the way around the world, just about. Very cool. And now sitting in my house, so... I think it was a pretty good deal. I like those kind of oddball games that came out in other territories that never made it here. So I kind of like to grab those when I can. It's it's kind of fun. Interesting. And then last but not least, I did finally get a copy of Bonk for the NES. Nice. That one's a toughy one to get. I'm kind of glad to scratch that off my list. Oh, yeah. I, I'm surprised you're still able to cross games off with any regularity because you're getting down to the the last few there and they're not cheap or easy to come by no i'll just say thanks to everyone that buys from my sale thread (laughs) (laughs) you're you're financing a lot of these purchases so i really appreciate it and uh, those that aren't buying from my sale thread hey on (laughs) rfgeneration.com i have a sale thread it's just um duke togo's sale thread (laughs) come come take a look and buy some stuff Everything goes to support a good cause, which is me um, talking about my stuff on the show. All right, anything else exciting to talk about? Um, I've got some leads on some interesting items in town, but uh, we'll save that for next time, hopefully. Yeah, just mm, some average everyday stuff and nothing really exciting to talk (laughs) about, right? So, yeah, I'm thinking we're going to have a good episode next month. So stay tuned, guys. Uh, I think we'll have some pretty entertaining things to talk about. All right, so on with the show.
So as anyone who's been listening knows, we've been talking about our favorite online and local places to grab games, and I just kind of wanted to take some time to talk about how those worlds kind of collide and work together against each other and what our thoughts are on on those kind of things. Yeah, and I think in kind of talking about that, um, I know I... I'm probably heavier into some of the online stuff in some ways, like with selling, where are you probably more into buying, right? Um, yeah, when it comes to online, I definitely do more buying than selling. Absolutely. I try and do most of my selling locally because I I don't like shipping. <laughs> well, that and you have like a pretty, pretty good market there. Yeah, there's no retro game stores or anything, so um, I'm able to move things with fairly quickly and for, for good prices. Yeah, now I don't enjoy that luxury here. I pretty much have given up on Craigslist locally. I mean, I, I kind of scope it out for deals to find, but I don't really ever bother to list things there. Just I don't get good results. No, I've every time I've listed a list of things, even if it's uh, like forty things, um, every single item goes. I never have to sell online. Around here, I think people view Craigslist kind of like a virtual garage sale, so they expect everything to have like really low prices. Right. So most of the things you get from people are just they're trying to lowball you, which is fine. I understand, but I'm not in that game, so I just don't fool with it. Up here, there's a lot of people seem to buy things for themselves, like a new 360 and a few games, and then they want to sell it the next week for the same price they bought it for. So I think people get excited when I I post something um, that's not listed at what you'd buy it for in a store. Well, it's hardly used, Krabby. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like new. Yeah. Why wouldn't you pay full price for that? <laughs> I see some of that stuff going on around here, too. Um, maybe fortunately, unfortunately for those folks, though, there are so many people that kind of post that sort of stuff here. You really can't get much money for them. Yeah. I, I see Xbox 360s for 100 bucks, 120 bucks. you know, all the time. Sometimes even cheaper on occasion. Um, you know, of course, they're the old, ugly ones that die on you, but <laughs> it is what it is. I seem like just tons of Xbox 360 stuff listed. I don't see a lot else. Yeah, they, that system dominates up here too right now. Well, it's the best one this time around, Krabby. Yeah, that's, de- that's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all know you're a, a PlayStation fanboy. No, no, the Wii for me. Oh, oh, the Wii. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> don't forget it yeah i know mr miser and his uh free online yeah i don't even use the online so for shame yeah i don't think i've punched a single friend code into that thing ever you know see now i would uh i would get a kick out of playing some online games with you sometime but you can't pony up that 35 <laughs> bucks just a uh, year all you have to do is pony up for a ps3 and we can play online no i have a ps3 there you go let's get some games Maybe we'll come to that uh, online gaming in an, another episode. Absolutely. I don't, I don't know how that ties into collecting any, but... <laughs> eh. I guess we could, it's our show. We can do what we like at some point, right? Fair enough. <laughs> I I mean, as far as local goes, I mean, we already kind of talked about last time, I get great stuff at pawn shops, and a lot of that stuff kind of fuels my online selling. Right, so they, they kind of complement each other really well there? Yeah, I mean, for example, the other day I picked up a couple Pokemon uh, carts and I don't really care a lot about Pokemon, but 
you know, at this pawn shop, I've, I've mentioned before, they do flat pricing. So I can pick them up for five bucks and then I can turn around and flip them for, you know, 20 bucks really fast. Yeah. I mean, I, I run in some other things too. That's there, but, uh, I mean, I don't know anything about Pokemon, but I'm smart enough to know that any, any portable Pokemon will sell really quickly and for a decent price. I don't really, maybe I'm a little too old to get in to understand the Pokemon thing, but have you ever played any of the main series games? No, no. Give them a chance. I, I love them. They're fun. Each, each one's the same as the last. So only need to, to play one of them to, to kind of get it, but it's worth a try. Then how on earth do they keep selling copies? I don't know. New generation, I guess, or just people that are addicted to collecting. Cause you know, you got to get them all. Maybe maybe I should avoid that because that could be <laughs> being a collector that could be a problem. Yeah. Especially <laughs> when you get into the variants. Oh uh, yeah. Which hmm variants. We'll talk more about that in a minute. <laughs> so it's more exciting to me when I find something physically locally. I mean, are you the same way or does are online sales just as exciting for you? Um, for the most part I agree, but there's a few exceptions where I actually find online grabs pretty exciting too like most of the time when you're you're digging through garage sale or something you know you find that that thing in the bottom of the box that just lights you up yeah it, it's hard to to find anything online to match it but uh there's been a few times where uh where i've i've got some uh pretty good memories and attachment to to what i found online surprisingly i'm curious are your uh, memories due to like tense auctions just kind of as they grind down and that that feeling of oh is it gonna you know is, is that it or that that was one of them yeah for the stadium events in particular that was part of it um because i put my bid in really early hoping to scare people off um so it was really tense it was a long auction like nine days We're checking it like every few hours to see if anyone else had bid for like over a week was just exhausting yeah that's like a nail biter right there yeah and and just the kind of the experience getting up to there because um i'm quite cheap and we're on a a tight budget here so it took a long time to get into a financial position to even be able to bid on something like that whether i want it or not so i there's a long journey kind of building up to that auction that i just i look back on fondly so that particular piece has a kind of significance in my collection even though i just bought it on ebay hmm now, don't get me wrong, there are some, I get, I think sometimes the excitement uh, when I do an online buy of, oh man, I that's a really great deal that I got a hold of. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I, I think of things that I've picked up locally, I remember the event, like, oh, I remember I was there, or I was this with this person, or whatever the case is, whereas online, I mean, after you get the thing, I usually don't remember a lot about when I saw it or where I saw it, you know what I mean? I agree. There's only a few items that kind of stick out for me, but um, yeah, most of the stuff's harder to remember what you paid, harder to remember when you got it. Yeah, I'd agree. I do like, though, I mean, a lot of the kind of online relationships you build, you know, with certain people that you buy from frequently or you sell to, and you kind of get that repertoire going on, and yeah. uh, that kind of sticks with me. Yeah, I was I was more referencing, like, anonymous eBay auctions, Um yeah, I definitely have uh, more memory of what I paid and who I got stuff from uh, when I'm doing deals on forums. Yeah, I don't do a lot of eBay, so maybe that's that's it. Uh, I just don't. 
I don't know if I've got the stomach for it. No, I think a lot of people are are losing the interest in it too. It seems like. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of. Uh, I think I would be a little too obsessive about it, and it would just totally ruin my time, <laughs> having to go back and check and check and check. Like you were talking about. I mean, uh, I don't need an ulcer over something like that. <laughs> I'd True. rather pay just a little bit more and then just have it be done. You know, it feels really good though in there, it, and it takes a lot of time to do though. Um, is to to grab that really low bite now that pops up. Oh yeah, the they, they disappear in like now. five minutes. So you gotta know about the item and grab it quick. Oh sure, I mean you get those people that just sit around and just refresh, 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 refresh. I yeah, mean, you know. So it feels good when you when you beat all those people that are doing that to to a good buy it now. Or people that are using the tools just to you know notify them as soon yep. as anything pops up. Absolutely. Um, really, for me, it kind of takes the fun out of it. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a different beast than it was like five or six years ago uh, buying on there. When you start seeing this stuff where people will buy up all of a certain stock of thing just so they can try to jack the price up. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I've seen a few of those happen lately. That's, that's pretty ugly, I think, uh, which makes me happy about using forums again. So you just don't, you know, it's pretty easy to avoid that kind of horrible crap. Absolutely. Do you find that, um, this doesn't happen often, I don't think, but you find those people that um, just seem to think, you know, no matter what's in their collection, it's better than than someone else's who's bought something online just because they've picked up everything locally? Oh, yeah. There's always those that think, boy, that's like, by putting in the hard hours, that's earning your collector stripes versus, well, anybody could just click a buy it now button. Sure. Even though, like we said, it can take uh, hours and hours and tons of refreshing. Like you can put in the same amount of time online and effort, but for some reason, it's not doesn't hold as much uh, value in people's minds. I think for collectors that that do out, go out there and do the grunt work, it's like being out in the trenches, and it's almost like you can't respect someone as much that just <laughs> is sitting on their butt in their pajamas and never leaves home. I mean, I'm not. I'm not like that. I don't have any problem with, you know, however you want to collect. I mean, I do a mix of both. Um, but, I mean, I've heard of that before, uh, and I've s- seen kind of those comments come up. Yeah. I think it's all garbage. I mean, really, I mean, to me, it's fun to go out and hunt. Um, for some people, it might be fun to sit and hit refresh all day. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Um... One thing I will say kind of about that is, there are people that have picked up certain rarities in the wild and they will hold on to those near and dear. Whereas if somebody just pay, you know, I'll see people that will buy a rare cart and then a month later they're trying to flip it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for the most part, things that you, you find in person have more sentimental value. Yeah. I mean, there are some, Things that I've traded out of my collection are, or sold that were really difficult for me to to decide to do. And um, they're ones that, you know, I have some physical memory of. Uh, as opposed to uh, a lot of the stuff, if I get it in a, a lot or if it's something that comes in online and I've got to trade to get something else, you know, no big deal. It's just, it's just another cart. Right. So do you, do you kind of look at it as cash sometimes almost uh, sometimes i mean 
I think uh, we've kind of talked about this before, but I think everybody buys certain things just as trade or sale fodder to right. kind of fund the hobby, uh, except maybe you know people that are just getting started out because they don't really have much duplicate stuff, so they kind of have this startup cost to get yeah. things rolling. So which which uh, method do you think would be better for someone starting off, buying a, a big bulk lot or you know hitting some garage sales? I think if you really want to get in and enjoy the hobby, I would suggest a new collector probably to do some groundwork in his area because you really start getting a feel for what's around you, what the prices are like versus what you see online. Are there good places to hunt, bad places to hunt? If you just stick to online, you know, you might really miss out on some great stuff. Yeah, I agree. And just the the people you meet too are just awesome. Like you meet awesome people online too, but uh, it's it's a different feeling in town. Yeah, it is. And when you're looking at somebody face to face and you're talking to them and you're building that relationship, you'll get people that'll do stuff for you that, you know, maybe some people online will do, but not a lot. You know what I kind of like to see locally too is when you're hunting around, just what. Um what systems are, are more popular in your area than others? Kinda, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I find that fascinating up here. And, like, when I went down to do some hunting with uh, Shadow down in Florida there, it's completely different. Very, very cool. Yeah, because I think we had talked about this a little bit before where, you know, some systems you hardly ever see where, like, I I about have to give a Saturn away where I'm at. And a, and a Sega Genesis, I mean, forget about it. They're, like... They just sit forever. Yeah, it's weird. You can look at the the sales numbers and know which uh, console sold more, but then you go to different areas and uh, you see the complete opposite there. Yeah, really kind of weird. I mean, I see some things that I would expect to see like crazy. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, NES stuff comes out of the woodwork. I find systems all the time, and I'm always kind of cleaning them up, flipping them, and Boy, I tell you what, a couple that I just recently picked up, once we have a, a an episode on cleaning, I, that's going to be a story. <laughs> Something that I'm really excited when I find locally, like Sega Master System, hardly ever see that stuff They're around me. non-existent up here almost. It's just insane. And the weird thing is I remember seeing it in the stores when I was a kid. I mean, it was around. There was a big video store in my town that rented Sega Master System. I know it's got to be out there somewhere. Um, I just don't see it a lot. I, I would definitely say if you're getting started, there's, I mean, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with, with buying a starter set online or something just to kind of get you in. See, that's how I started a lot of mine. Um, this is back when eBay was better to buy off of, but, like, I bought my Saturn with five games online. I bought my Dreamcast with five games online. I bought my Virtual Boy with two games online. They're all, they all kind of got me started into the system because they were things I just wasn't finding locally. Yeah, I guess it really depends on what you want to go after. I mean, some things you can't. I mean, I can't just walk out my door and find Famicom cards. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a store in town that's going to start carrying them. They already have lots of Super Famicom, but they told me they're going to get a big lot of Famicom cards in, which excites me. Or like PC Engine or Neo Geo. It's just not going to happen. But if you want to start out with something simple, I mean, you want to do PlayStation 1 or you want to do NES or Atari, you should have no problem getting out there and finding something, you know, with a fairly decent amount of effort. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. Uh, and if not, I would say 
forums like we talked about before, you know, whether it's on RF Generation or some other site. Yeah, there's lots of like fan sites if you're interested in a particular system. There's there's always someone willing to set you up. Yeah, you can get a nice little starter kit um, for for that. I think, you know, when we get into some of the later episodes down the line, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, kind of a good way uh, to start out for some different systems for some of you that may not be as knowledgeable about particular systems. Um, kind of talk to you about some of the things to watch out for, things to get. Um, and I think that'll be fun to talk about down the road. So, you know, in the show thread, if there's some systems that you would like to hear some more about, uh, feel free to post that. Um, now, we're probably not going to sit down and do a show on the FM Towns Marty or something that we <laughs> we don't know anything about, but we're happy to kind of discuss things that we've got some knowledge on and think that'll be interesting. Absolutely. All right, well, um, something else we wanted to talk a little about this episode is uh, variants and variant collecting and things that kind of go into that a little bit. What what do you consider to be the definition of a variant? Basically, the, the same game, um, kind of repackaged, whether that means new artwork, um, new seal, new casing. Um, I've kind of got some gray areas that I'm not sure if I'd call them variants or not, like a a port to another system or a greatest hits release or something, but uh, basically just the same game with very little added to the software, mostly to the packaging. Why would you kind of think the greatest hits is a gray area? Because usually that's just um, a repackaging, right? Yeah, there's some that are that I definitely say are are variants, but there's especially nowadays when they they come out with these platinum hits, greatest hits, they're they're often adding content to the game. So I'm not sure if I'd call that a variant still or not. That's why I, I kind of call that a gray area. So you're talking not about like the greatest hits or platinum hits. You're kind of talking about like game of the year editions. Yep. Yeah. yeah, for the most part. Yeah, where they're kind of wrapping all the DLC into one title. Exactly. Yeah, I can see that. That is kind of... Um, I mean, really, it is the same game. It's just yeah. maybe with some optional bits thrown in, yeah. but it's not... You could get the same experience from the original retail disc right. if you bought the stuff. What, what's your your uh, opinion on like a, a reimagining of an older game? <sighs> like an HD remake? Sure. Yeah, that's a good example. You know, or like... Uh, I would consider Skies of Arcadia, like the Dreamcast and the GameCube games. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, those are variants. It's really the same game. I mean, I know they've added like a little bit here and there, but really, it's the same game. Okay. I mean, even visually speaking, even though it's on a different system, it's not that different in the way it looks. I, I think I agree personally, but I, for some reason, something holding me back i still want to call that a gray area even though i would consider it a variant yeah it's tough i mean you know you look at something like uh shin shinmu 2 you know that came out in europe on the dreamcast but then over here we got it on the xbox mm-hmm. is that a variant i mean really it's the same game <laughs> it's just a different platform right 
I don't know. I mean, usually though, yeah, I'm more into some of the older gaming, you know, as you are too. So that's tend to where I start to think more about about variants. So let's talk about NES cards in particular then, because we're both fairly familiar with those. Oh yeah, I love love me some NES cards. So do you collect variants on NES cards? I don't. No, um, I kind of watch for them because uh, I find it interesting when you when you can pick up a kind of rarer one, but um, it's not something I actively search for. Okay, so you're not out there searching for five screw Mike Tyson punch outs. And no, I don't have you know eight, five screw eight different copies of Zelda. Or... So you don't have like gold Zelda, gray Zelda, gold Zelda two, gray Zelda two. Um, no, those ones I, I I don't have just because I haven't found them. But I would actually like to have the gray carts over the gold ones just because they they're more uniform with everything else I've got. And you are all about uniformity, right? Yeah. Don't don't want to stick out too much. Yeah, I well I say that because I don't know if we've ever discussed it on air. Do you want to enlighten the listeners on how you put your collection into the RF generation system? Oh yeah, um, about half of my games or more are probably. Canadian releases, um, which I happily add to the database, the info for them. But when I log them into my collection, everything has to have that American flag next to it so that the whole list looks uniform. I don't like that Canadian flag sticking out. It drives me nuts. Which I think is is fascinating that that is so important to you that you'll fudge it just to make it look nice. Yeah, and it's like just for me, like no one else looks at that thing. So I don't know why it's important to me, but it is. Yeah, and that's it. You know, you're using the tool as you see fit, and I've got no problem with that. Uh, I just think it's an interesting quirk. And, I mean, really, again, we're talking about variants. I mean, these are the same thing, whether they've got a, a U.S. release or a Canadian release. I mean, half the time it's what, just maybe some French text on a box or something? Yeah, either that or they just put a second manual inside that's French. And when we talk about things like NES Canadian releases, are they really more of just like Quebec releases or did these get, you know, distribution throughout the whole country? Uh, for the NES, the only game that I think just got a Quebec release was Kirby's Adventure. It's pretty pretty easy to find that French um, game out there. Okay. But the actual gameplay itself has French wording in it, which is very weird because all the other Canadian variants just have some little packaging quirks. But that game oh. actually was changed in the game. It's really an interesting one. So they probably just took the French version and just ported that over, right? I'm not sure. Um, see, my French is so bad. I live so far west that it's not very important to note over here. So right. I don't I don't know the how much difference there is between French, Canadian French, and actual French. Huh. Well, I think that's interesting. I mean... Again, when we talk about a lot of times with um, NES variants, a lot of times we're talking about things that might be um, things that you probably would never notice unless you knew to look for it. Like when they released, re-release certain games, they might put like a dash one on the product code, <laughs> where they maybe fix like some minor bug in the software. But you would probably never know that unless you looked on the label or took it apart and looked at the board, right? Yeah, absolutely. There are some variants that it's like, how far down the the rabbit hole do you want to go? I mean, do you, like in our database, in RF Generation, you'll get, we we put variants in there. And that really drives some people really kooky crazy uh, on that. <laughs> but we do not go to the level of 
board variance, we just go to the level of packaging variance, right? I believe so. Now, do we do they actually list like those just if it's a product code um, change? Is that a completely different variant in the database? Um, yeah, I believe so. You'll find it just with whatever the revised product code is. Because I know they do the oval seal versus round seal, the five screw versus three screw. What well, wasn't one of the product code? That's interesting. And then some things are even so nitpicky as in if you look at like uh, some of the Super Mario Brothers 3 carts. Um, some of them <laughs> have the brothers on one side and some have the brothers on the other side. Right. Why? I have no clue why they redid that label. I mean, that would seem to be an expensive change. Yeah, it's a, there's some weird ones. Yeah, and some things I can totally get. You know, you look at Metroid. Okay, you've got original Metroid, and then you have the re-release label in, in yellow. Yeah, those ones, like, there's that one, and uh, Blades of Steel has a similar release like that, does it not? Yeah, it has a red label. Yeah, so they're, I, I like those ones better. They're more obvious, big changes. So would you collect those? Not actively. It's not something I'd, I'd, like, if I complete my set, I wouldn't go online and say I need that one to finish my set. But if I found one locally, I'd probably keep a copy of both. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to get to. Now, I don't actively seek out some of these, although I really do want to find a yellow label Metroid at some point. But if I come across them, I buy a lot of games or something, and I find one in there that I already got, but it's a variant, I'll go ahead and hold on to it a lot of times. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, so, you know, I end up with probably two or three copies of Gradius or, you know, a couple of Bayou Billies or something. Right. I mean, obviously, if it was probably something expensive, I, I probably wouldn't hold on to it. But If it's a game I enjoy, I pick up every copy of it that I can. So I've I've got several games in my collection where I own two or three or four copies of the same game on like different platforms or different packaging, just because I like the game. I can see that. Um, I've got some things like that where I've got, I mean, I'm not a big boxed guy. I mean, everybody knows that by now. But I've got some games I'll keep around in boxed anyway, just because I really like the game. I've got a sep like a separate copy that I'll play. Yeah. Uh, but I'll I'll keep the box just because it's neat. I kind of like it. Yeah, and a couple spots in my collection too I've got you know the game that I play and then I've got a sealed one just because I enjoy the game that much yeah going back kind of to the level of variant tracking um, where are you at do you think you know packaging variants are okay to talk about or do you think you know going all the way down to like board revisions are okay to track I think if you're gonna do it you might as well do it to the fullest, track every little thing you can, including board variants. So if you had a magic wand that you could wave over RF generation, you would institute board pictures and board revisions? Yeah, I. the more information, the better, I think, so why not? And, and I'm sure they would accept uh, board pictures in the, the extra media scans if someone was interested in doing such a thing. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I think you you could do that. I would think, though, if you were going to go to that level, you'd almost have to make like a separate field to really highlight that. Yeah, that would be kind of neat idea, I think. Have you ever seen, I know there's a, a website that does kind of go into documenting that for the NES, um, that level of depth, where they've taken the time to really just go through like every release, talk about the board revisions that are known. I mean, you're getting to really just some extremely 
fine detail. Yeah, it's um, bootgod.org, I think. Uh, I used that site um, as part of my research when I was looking for stadium events because I was having a hard time finding really good, clear pictures of the board. And they had awesome awesome scans of them in there, which I, I used to match to the photos of the one I bought. Certainly, yeah, because, I mean, you got to make sure that somebody's not just slapping a shell on something else, right? Exactly. Which is even kind of common. That was a big tactic back in the day. People would swap swap the boards out just so they could get a game they wanted, you know? Hence the new screw types, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I even, when I, I think we may have talked about that, I bought a game a while back and it had the wrong board in it. So now I've got a Color Dreams cart with a Zelda 2 board in it. <laughs> it's a nice match. Yeah, yeah, it makes no sense, but, you know, they they gave me an extra copy and let me keep the weird one. <laughs> I'll take that. So going a little farther out, when you talk about variants, what about something like a stadium events? Is a stadium events a variant? Uh, or no, I guess I should say it the other way. Yeah, is I was world correct you there. <laughs> <laughs> is, is world-class track me a variant of stadium events or are these two separate titles that's another gray area for me because like i said there's more than just the packaging change even though it's only the title screen that's different there's there's something different in the software so i'm not sure if i want to call it a variant or a new release so i kind of stick it in my gray area so if Someone were to say, okay, I've got a full NES, NTSC set, minus stadium events. To you, is that still complete? Gaming-wise, yes. Collecting-wise, no. Okay, so you say if you don't have that, so I would say then you don't consider that to be a variant. Right, because there's, there's that name change. Um, I think it's important. Uh, and and I can, I would concede pretty easily if someone wanted to make the argument otherwise, though, because... Um, Everyone makes their own list, right? If that's not on your list, it's not on your list. But uh, for me, complete needs that stadium events. Yeah, I think that's... I mean, everybody goes by these certain magical lists that are out there, and and you hear about it all the time. But, like, for me, if I could get stadium events at some point in time, that's all well and good. If I can get all of them but that, I'm okay with that. And I can understand that. Um, Or something like... Nintendo World Championships. Um, if I could locate a gray one, would I care about owning a gold one? Nope. <laughs> Wouldn't care a bit. I mean, to me, again, that's a variant. Yeah. A beautiful variant, though. <laughs> yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. If one jumped in my lap, I wouldn't kick it out. But <laughs> I guess that would probably be another one of those things. If some uh, god saw fit to bestow one of those to me, I'm even though I could probably trade it for a a gray plus money, I would probably still hold on to the gold. <laughs> yeah, that'd just be awesome. Yeah, um, but I think probably in in my life, I'll probably just have to substitute for a repro at some point in time. Yeah, I'm with you there. Let's talk about some of the other kind of variants that are out there. So, I mean, I know uh, in like our database, when you talk about like Sega Master System carts... Man, oh man, there is some variants listed in there. Do you ever see those? No, I'm really unfamiliar with with Master System, so enlighten me. Oh, I mean, you'll see things like um, like some of them will have the trademarks, like TM for trademark, mm-hmm. and some won't, and that's a variant. Like no TM, 
and one that has it. I mean, you'll see this. It's the same game, but like they've stuck a little thing on there that says "new for the '90s" or whatever, right. and that's a variant. Although it's, I mean, sometimes it's just so much as like a sticker that was stuck at the factory on the game. You know what I mean? So do you? kind of classify things as like major and minor variants or is it just variant straight across to me uh, yeah i would have to say major and minor i mean don't get me wrong i think in terms of our database it's good to have that in there because then you can tell and i think it's also useful information because you can look and see okay this many people have this variant versus that one so this one is probably the more rare than this one is. Well, you might have people like me who, who screw that up because I don't actually have the game I own listed in the database. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not a scientific study, but assuming that most people probably want to use the tool to really kind of keep track of what they actually have. And don't get me wrong, I know there's some people that that hate variants and they won't even fool with it. They're just, they'll pick whatever the first one that comes up is <laughs> and that's good enough. But I think it's useful information to have. I mean, versus not having it at all. Yeah. I don't see that there's any good in that. I agree. Um, one of the areas that kind of interests me the most in variants is the the twenty six hundred database. I find that one fascinating. You know, yeah, really. Text label, picture label, picture label two. You know, Sears release. Like, it's just insane. Some of those games. Yeah, the twenty six hundred. Really, man. Talk about variants. I mean. How big was the lifespan of that console? You really, you know, from was it about what? five years or so? No, no, no. I think what the twenty six hundred came out in was it seventy eight? That's what I want to say. Didn't it last until about eighty three? No, they stopped. They didn't cease making games until like eighty nine, ninety or something. Okay. I mean, they made games all the way through the eighties for the twenty six hundred. And were these all licensed games too? Yeah, you're talking about production games. Wow. No, I was unaware. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it didn't end up until like the late 80s they finally stopped making 2600 carts um, officially. So were a lot of these games getting re-released as years went on? Is that why there's so many variants? Yeah, I mean, you look at like the original VCS releases, and when you see those, like all the carts have a number on them. You know, like here's... You know, Combat 01, you know, IndyCar 05 or whatever it is. There was only so many carts that were out there, so they were just numbered, you know, the different games. Kind of like what you see in some other systems, like um, Fairchild Channel F. Yeah. Like all all their game pack things are, are numbered. But then obviously it started taking off and they started making more games. Uh, and then they kind of dropped, obviously they dropped the numbering system at that point in time, <laughs> and they just went with, like, text labels, and then, well, eventually, you know, they moved on to actual pictures on the labels. And I love the pictures on those. The artwork on 2600 boxes is the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was, I mean, like, usually the picture on the box had, like, nothing to do with the game at no, all. And they looked so cool. Yeah, you look like a missile command, and you're like, wow, or... Uh, even games that are like horrible, like <laughs> Othello or something, and you're like, man, that's look at that guy. Yeah, I would say that that's got to be a tricky one to keep track of. Um, you know, if, if NES is a pain, if you're a 2600 collector going after variants, man, you've got to be hardcore. <laughs> so what about you? I mean, do you see a lot of other variants in other systems that you, you 
keep track of, or is, as things have become more modern, has the number of variants you think kind of dwindled out? I want to say they did, but they seem to be coming back, don't you think, with all the uh, limited editions and the Game of the Years and the DLC added, and seem to be kind of on the rise. During the, the, the last generation, like uh, GameCube, PlayStation, Xbox, Dreamcast, there didn't seem to be quite as many. Except if you're a Nintendo releases that came out at Kmart and everything, right? Okay. <laughs> For GameCube. Uh, like Target and Kmart and Standard and, you know, Toys R Us and, right? Were these packaging differences or like stickers again? Have you, well, a lot of them are stickers. Have you ever looked at like the the Metroid Prime variants? Yeah, there's what, four of those? Uh, if not more i think there's probably more <laughs> than that um there's like different kmart ones there's you know the one with the demo there's you know there's a lot of different variants of that thing and i think there was a couple other games that were like that too that you know they just kind of went crazy with i think these days though it's more of games have such a short cycle in which to make money that any way that they can try to get it out there again to earn revenue they'll do it just keep it on the shelf as long as possible. Yeah, well, think about it. Um, how fast do game prices crash generally these days? If they're not like a popular niche title, like they, uh, they just plummet. A lot of times, even at launch, you really, unless you want to, you don't have to pay full price. Yeah, if you shop around, you can find five, ten bucks off everywhere. Yeah. I think any time a publisher gets a chance, sure, they'll do a collector's edition. They'll do a uh, game of the year edition they'll do a platinum hits uh, again if they can just every time that they can put it back on the shelf with a new box you know maybe to attack attaches some attention to it i wonder if that's working out well i don't know i mean i would think for some titles um they must be a little more perennial um you know nintendo prices tend to just stick they don't really release um I mean, drop prices on a lot of their titles very often, mm-hmm. unless they decide to do like a uh, like a selects edition or something. Right. But it's very controlled. Whereas, it seems like all the other publishers are just at the whim of of the retailers. Yeah, for the most part, you get some companies like uh, NIS and Atlas that can keep a lot of their prices up high. Not all of them, but. but a fair I think amount. they probably do that with short production runs. Yeah, right? a lot of them do limited runs there. Yeah, and with Nintendo, I am um, I don't I mean, I would imagine their titles just do it because people will keep paying it. Yeah, like Mario Kart still sells regardless if it's still 50 bucks and came out 4 years ago. Sure, yeah. I mean, if somebody gets a Wii for Christmas this year, um they would still walk out and buy a Mario Galaxy or a Mario Kart. Yeah. So why not still charge the same amount? It makes sense. Absolutely. I know we'll probably, I definitely want to cover this in a future show, uh, but collector's editions, those are variants, right? Yep. Absolutely. Usually they're just like extra swag or something that's in the box, but the game itself is the same. I love the swag. <laughs> Who doesn't? But boy, it's, <laughs> it's a little pricey, right? Oh, yeah. It's so not worth it, but I'm happy to pay it anyway. You know, for titles that, I really like I'm willing to do it just to kind of show my support. Yeah, I feel the same way. Maybe this is a topic for another show. Are there any 
like high profile variants that you can think of or things that people would really the general collector would know versus the real the variant freak um the one that pops to my mind right away is the myriad six and one versus caltron six one. Oh boy yep there you go so uh enlighten everybody um, well, you've got the original Caltron release, um, the 6-1 games, and then uh, apparently Myriad bought the rights to the game, and when they released it, the only change they made to it was to you know, put their sticker right over top of the Caltron sticker, not even bothering to take it off of the, the packaging. So you've just got a sticker over sticker. Right, and, and I don't know the whole lore of the thing, but if I understand right, maybe the Caltron release was from Mexico? And then yeah, I the think there's some link there. Were, were here, and the, like in the states or something, and just like bought a bunch of them and, and <laughs> distributed them in the U.S. just by slapping their sticker on it, wasn't it? Uh, I know there's some link to Mexico like that, so um, you could be right. I'm not sure though. Yeah, I, I I would have to do some more research on that one, but yeah, and Myriad six and one, even though just having another sticker on it, the pricing is is way up from oh, yeah. Caltron through the roof. So I'll be happy to find a Caltron <laughs> one of these days. Now, if you find a Myriad first, will you have to go back and find the Caltron later then? No, because that's a variant. Okay. I, I didn't think you'd do it the other way around. I was wondering if you found the expensive one first, if you'd go for the cheaper one, though. I don't think so. Because, again, you know, across it's kind of like um, like with Color Dreams games. Okay, there's a blue and a black <laughs> one. Uh, yeah. I don't care which one I get. No, nope. It's the same game. What are your thoughts on, um, like, factory screw-ups, like when they stick the label on upside down or when they've got the wrong colors on the on the packaging? Those are great to see, but boy, oh, boy. They're usually so limited. I don't even know if it's really worth tracking in a database as a variant, do you think? I don't know. It's another gray area for me. I, I want the information for them, but I don't know if they deserve their own release as like a variant just maybe they're an extra media scan not sure yeah i mean i think it's they're always a curiosity to see those usually they don't get there's not like a big run of them right i mean usually it's just like a few here or there so with that in mind then would you say if there was a if, is there a magic number if there's a hundred thousand printed incorrectly versus uh the first million that sold without this error would that be worth tracking I to me, if there was an actual full run of something, I mean, like um, let's say they started producing the carts, they did a run and they shipped it, and then they went, "Ooh, <laughs> you know what I mean?" Mm-hmm. That is a valid variant. If somebody started up the press and then thirty copies later knows the oops, something was messed up and and changed it. I don't know. I mean, to me, that's just a manufacturing error, right? So where do you make that dividing line then? I guess if something makes a a, a full print run. Full print? I mean, I, in my mind, that's kind of where I put it. It's kind of weird, though. I mean, when you go back to the, the, the Myriad and the Caltron thing, I mean, there was just Caltron. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was just a sticker. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing applies to some of the other things. I mean, you look at, like, Bunch games. Uh, those are just Sachin games, but... Again, they just have slapped a, a a different sticker and put it in the Color Dreams cart. But it's a Sachin game. So, I mean, are those things variants too? I don't know. I'd have to do more research on those ones. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, some of these things that came over were from other territories, and it's really kind of out there. Um, you know, they got released here. Um, okay, I will. Um, I'll bring something up. There was a conversation that was going on in Nintendo Age uh, a little bit ago. I don't know if you saw it. But there was uh, a guy that was talking about a certain Sachin type. Yes, I kind of browsed that one. Yeah, and he was adamant that he wanted that to be listed as a worldwide release. Um, just because one copy had shown up from a video rental store in uh, Canada, uh, in Montreal. That, that's not part of Canada. We don't count Quebec up here. <laughs> uh, they kind of wanted to do their own <laughs> thing at some point, right? The, But in that, I mean, and the whole thing was, I mean, that's kind of silly. I mean, anybody could import a copy of a game and stick it on a shelf. That doesn't mean it was actually released here. Right. But there's a lot of gray area in that. I mean, if some distributor bought 100 copies and sold them here, okay, was that a release? Is that a variant now? Or is it really just, okay, a guy bought a few from overseas and wanted to make a quick buck? Yeah, it's, like you said, it's a gray area. There's there's a number there somewhere where you, you'd call it an official run and a number where you just call it a little private thing, and I, I don't know what that number would be. Yeah, I don't either. Um, and I guess, you know, in your own collecting world, it can be whatever you want, but when you're talking about something like a, an official database or something that has to track these things... There has to be some reasonable delineation, right? Absolutely. And um, I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions. So <laughs> <laughs> There's somebody else higher up the food chain that gets to decide that and, and just turn down my, my submissions. <laughs> yeah. Deal with the fallout. Absolutely. What are some of your, your favorite ones, like with the NES in particular? Uh, okay. I like the ones sometimes that nobody else will accept as a variant. <laughs> like I've got probably three different copies of RC Pro-Am and they are slightly different. Like one will have, you know, like the trademark and one will have like something else like copyright and and one has nothing. So, I mean, but nobody else wants to accept that as a variant, even though clearly the labels are different. Like one has like an asterisk right. on it and like the one doesn't. I wonder why they won't accept that when they accept, um, like, seal changes. I don't know. Same thing, I submitted a variant for the Super Mario Brothers 3, the one that's like, okay, the Super Mario, the Brothers is over on this side, on the other one, the Brothers is over here. Yeah. That one got rejected, too? Yeah, that one got rejected, too. Interesting. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Those are kind of, I guess, the ones that stick out to me, because to me, I'm going, to me, this is clearly a variant. You can see it. I mean, like I know there's uh, a lot of work involved adding stuff like that to the database. I wonder if we need to open it up for discussion again and kind of see if we can hammer out some clear idea of what constitutes a variant and what doesn't. Oh, boy, there's going to be some sided men that do not like us. <laughs> after after this episode, folks, if we are no longer the RF Generation Collector Cast, <laughs> we may we may be booted out. We might just be the Collector Cast. We'll just get Wild Bill to sponsor us. We'll be the Wild Bill Collector Cast. <laughs> that sounds great. He's got enough scores to last <laughs> us for a lot more episodes. That's for sure. But yeah, I mean, what about you? Uh, I'm a fan of the the five screw versus the three screw. Those mm. ones, uh, very interesting. 
Yeah, even though you say you won't actively go out and try to find them. Yeah, no, like if I see another one at a store for cheaper than they, they normally sell for, I'll definitely pick it up and hold on to it. All right, now what about, now this is something that I've seen. There was a guy on Nintendo Age, you know, that runs a site and makes boxes for games mm-hmm. and came out with a um, Famicom converter set of boxes for the for the original releases that had the converter built in. <laughs> Interesting. So, I mean, that's a variant, right? I mean, they were actually the Famicom games in a U.S. shell with a converter. Yeah, that's another thing where, where I'd like to, to see those board scans because those kind of things would pop up. Yeah, and I mean, I know I've seen them, and I think it's pretty well documented. Everybody knows about them, but um, how would you know? I mean, I would think a lot of people would probably not ever tear their game open to find out. <laughs> Everything I get in here, I open it up just to clean, so I get to see it anyway. I do, too. Um, I definitely look forward to our cleaning show. We'll have to do that sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another one that I find neat, maybe just because I'm from Canada, is the the Canadian variants that have the little Mattel logo in the corner. Oh yeah. I just think that's cool. It's Mattel. Like, and, and Mattel released a lot of stuff in Europe, um, for a while. Did not know that. Yeah. There's a lot of like in Italy, there's like Mattel version of games. And then there was like later, like another distributor called gig that distributed games. So, you know, it's like, again, label variations, (laughs) but yeah, Mattel. So, you probably know more about that being Canadian. What 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 was the deal with Mattel? Um, I actually don't know very much about it. I only know it was a fairly big toy company in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, so I'm assuming they just struck some sort of uh, deal with Nintendo because they were a, a well-known property to get some more exposure. That's my assumption. Yeah. Well, isn't Mattel the home of Barbie? Yep. Yeah. So I mean, Mattel's still out there and going strong. So yeah, I would imagine that Mattel just had deep distribution channels and places where Nintendo wasn't as entrenched. They probably just took advantage of that. Because I know like in Europe, the Master System did much better than the Nintendo Entertainment System. So I would imagine they just tried to find some distributors where they could to sell their product. And the marketing muscle they probably had too because nobody knew Nintendo at the time. Everybody knew Mattel. That's true. Uh, So I would be curious to see... Uh, if you could find, I would like to see a an NES box that had the Mattel logo on it. Um, I've got one. Do you really? I do, yeah. I would like to see a picture of that. Um, if it's not scanned into the database, I'll have to snap a photo. That would be so cool to have that, you know. Um, I mean, I'm sh- obviously it must have the Nintendo logo on there, but just to have a big Mattel. Yeah, it's fairly decent size, square in the corner too, yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, I would get a kick out of something like that so on those games there's actually you know it's got the mattel label on there right um it's like a little circle star kind of steel in the bottom right corner most of the time yeah and it's the same thing i've kind of seen in some of the european releases so they must have had some pretty good deals with nintendo at a a certain time Hmm. i wonder what petered out there it's really strange to hear about some of that um I was just listening to another podcast. I mean, I think it's probably well known that uh, Nintendo went to Atari to kind of maybe distribute the Famicom over here originally, right. and and it didn't didn't hash out. And uh, I just found out that the same kind of thing happened with the Mega Drive. 
Sega came over to Atari and was like, hey, do you want to distribute the Mega Drive in the States? And it didn't just didn't work out. But the story I heard was from somebody that worked there at the time, and it was on another podcast. The podcast is Retro Gaming Roundup. Anybody that wants to go track down, it was their June episode. They had an interview with a guy that was there at the time. The people at Atari that were working in that project, uh, actually are, there was a guy that was there that came up with the name Genesis for the Mega Drive over here. So Very cool. Even though that deal fell through, Sega still used that idea from the Atari people. Huh. That's kind of a tangent. It's something that's, I guess, interesting when we're talking about other distributors or whatnot. If you want to tie it to variants, too, there was how many versions of the Genesis that came out? <laughs> oh, yeah. What? Well, three in the U.S., right? Yeah, and that's just systems, right? They had how many pack-in variants, too? Oh, sure. And yeah. and you look at like other countries, like you look at Brazil, right, with Tectoy. Oh, yeah. They really ran the Sega show down there, right? Yeah, for a long, long time. Yeah, and I mean, they kept the Master System down there going forever. I love seeing, do you ever see, like, uh, the Brazilian NES carts? Like, a lot of them are black. No, I haven't seen the NES ones, no. Yeah, take a look at that sometime. That's, like, a cool, like, a lot of times they're, and I don't know if they're pirates or the actual legitimate releases. I'm guessing probably some sort of pirates, but uh, a lot of them are, like, in black carts. You know, it's the same design. It's just they're black or whatever. That's mm-hmm. kind of neat. Very cool. Kind of cool. Yeah, they remind me of, like, the the Famicom Famicom box um, carts. I don't know if you've ever seen those. They're also black, but uh, no, I'm not not familiar. So talking about variants, let's talk about variants. So <laughs> um, let's talk about foreign versions of the same game, right? Like a Famicom release versus a, a North American release. Yeah, or even to the extreme. So let's say that like like the Famicom box. The Famicom box was a thing that was in hotels in Japan and uh, let people play games, you know, like in a hotel room. Okay. If you look at their carts, they look like NES carts, except they're black. They won't play in an NES. They're, you know, done differently, and I think it's just a different lockout chip or whatnot. But, I mean, you're, again, you're still talking about the same game. I mean, Super Mario Brothers, the Super Mario Brothers, right? Right. Um, whether it's on the Famicom, on the Famicom box, whether it's on, okay, now here's the extreme play choice. I was just going to mention that. I was going to see if you counted PCBs in there, too. Yeah, now, see, that's where I would probably have to say, I don't know. To me, that's a different game because the levels aren't the same. Okay, but what about a game where it is? Because like, lots of games, they do uh, really good arcade ports now. So if you can get, like, a... Uh, Naomi Hardware, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 versus your Dreamcast, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, would you call it a variant? No, because those are not the same game. I mean, they're very similar structurally, but, I mean, the Naomi board is has so much more RAM and everything to work with versus the Dreamcast. The code, the code is not the same. But you had no problem with people adding like DLC and extra dungeons and stuff. How was, where's the difference there? Well, I mean, because it is possible for me to buy 
let's say, for example, Oblivion on Xbox 360. If I bought the original release, I could also purchase all the DLC and have the same experience as the person that went out and bought the Game of the Year edition. Okay. If I buy Marvel vs. Capcom on Dreamcast, there's nothing I can do to make it equivalent to the Naomi release, right? Okay, what about um, older games that are getting re-releases like the X-Men Arcade, Turtles Arcade... They're getting releases. They're getting all. The only thing that's really updated is they add the the online components on, right? Or like the front end is a little bit different. Sure. Right. Um, uh, that's emulation to me. Uh, sometimes it's not, but to, it's a different game. If you've integrated into Xbox Live or something, mm-hmm. it's a different game, right? I mean, if you can play Streets of Rage online through xbox live that's not the same game as streets of rage on the sega genesis right okay what about games that come out on compilation discs then that have arcade origins that's emulation right i mean the disc itself is a game but to say that each individual i wouldn't say i would say i own that compilation i wouldn't say i also own all of these games like okay let's say i went to the xbox 360 and i bought the Dreamcast collection. I would put in my collection online that I have that the Dreamcast collection for Xbox 360. I wouldn't say, and I also own Crazy Taxi, Space Channel 5, and Sega Bass Fishing for Dreamcast. But if you're a Crazy Taxi fanatic, you wouldn't count it as a Crazy Taxi variant? No, because it's not a variant. It's a different game, right? But it's the exact same game as the Dreamcast version, is it not? Uh, no. Just a port to a different system? What's different? Well, like, for example, with Crazy Taxi, some of the license stuff is taken out and some of the music's not in there. But let's take something that is the same, Sega Bass Fishing, okay? Okay. It can't be a variant because it's on a disc with other stuff. It's not the same code. Or even if it is, maybe it's emulated, but it's not. I'm failing to see how the... You have no problem with the DLC disc because there's added added code to that, obviously, also. Or the extra dungeons like the uh, Skies of Arcadia versus Skies of Arcadia Legends. Count that as a variant, but not not these kind of compilations? I don't because I see them as different things, I guess. Um, where uh, one game unto itself is equal to one game maybe in another place. Once you start bundling it with something else, it's a different entity, right? I'm not sure I'd agree with that. Okay, so if you had a an arcade cabinet with a 50-in-1 board, does that mean you own Ms. Pac-Man and Galaxian and whatever, or do you just own an arcade machine with a 50-in-1 board? Yeah, if there's no... If it was uh, some sort of official release and there was no um, change to the... No, sorry, no major changes to the, the actual gameplay, I'd call it a variant. All right, so let me ask you this question then. To complete your NES collection, can you go buy the games you're missing on Wii Virtual Console? No, because I don't have a physical media. But it's just a variant, right? It's the same thing. No, it's a, it doesn't count when it's not physical. Come on. <laughs> Come on. This is, ah, so this is a collector cast, not a that We found cast. Uh, the flaw in your logic <laughs> there. Because we're still, again, we're talking about the same thing. So, okay. Is Super Mario All-Stars on Wii equivalent to owning Super Mario All-Stars on the Super Nintendo to have a full Super Nintendo set? 
a full Super Nintendo set? No, but if you were going for every Mario game released, I'd say it's absolutely necessary. Okay, if you were going for all Mario games released, could you substitute the Wii version for the Super Nintendo version? Or do you think you have to have them both because they're two different things? Either or, if you only want one copy. If you're not going for variants, I would say the Wii version would be acceptable. Okay, so to you, Wii Super Mario All-Stars is a direct variant of Super Mario All-Stars on Super Nintendo. Yes. That's interesting. I would not draw that connection. I I know there's a big time gap there, but I don't see any difference from from that than uh having like the any any movie licensed game coming out on all three systems that are currently out. Okay. So let's talk about RF generation for a minute. So in R on RF generation, you cannot link a variant to the same title on a different platform. Okay. Is that broken or is that good? Um Again, I think it's a gray area. I'm, I obviously would do it differently if I had the the option, but um, I think there's a good argument on the other side also. Yeah, because the solution is uh, on RFGen is related games. Right. Which, to me, can sometimes be kind of imperfect, but, I mean, I guess it is what it is. Because sometimes it really irritates me a little bit um, because... There were some games that came out in Japan on the disk system that are equivalent or a variant of a U.S. release on cartridge. To me, that that's a variant, but I can't do that. Can you link them as related, though? You can, but there's no... It doesn't work the same way in the system. Hmm. Like you said, it may not be perfect, but as long as they're connected in some way, I'm happy with that. Okay. I think we just have maybe some different ideas about how things are tied together and what consists of an independent release versus a variant. Absolutely. That, and that's where a lot of the uh, interesting discussion comes from on the boards whenever variants come up. And speaking of which, folks, I, I would love to hear your thoughts in the in the show thread. So I would expect everybody to come and comment, share your thoughts about variants, good, bad, uh, are we beating a dead horse here? Um, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear it all. As am I. We're done with these topics uh, today. Um, we'd love to hear everyone's feedback on what other kind of show topics you guys would like to hear. Please post any comments um, regarding the show topics. Um, we love to hear you like the show, but be more specific if you can. Um, let's get some discussions going. We'd love to to talk more about these topics in uh, greater length with you guys. For those of you that are listening to us um, from different locations, uh, you can, let's talk a little bit about how you can find us. Uh, our home base, as you've probably heard us speaking, is uh, rfgeneration.com. Very easy to find. Uh, is exactly how it sounds, uh, just all together, rfgeneration.com. You can also find the po- podcast on the iTunes podcast directory. You can subscribe. 
Um, please, if you do so, we would really appreciate it if you would take the time to rate the podcast, let everybody know what you think. Uh, we really appreciate that, making the podcast a little more uh, visible for folks. You can also find us on Podomatic.com. Uh, it's very easy to locate us. It's just Podomatic.com slash RF Generation Collector Cast. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, you can search for Collector Cast or my channel. Uh, my username on YouTube is DukeTogo74. So whatever method you like, please subscribe and uh, let us know. If you'd like to contribute to the show, uh, we do uh, appreciate any donations that you'd like to give. You can find our PayPal donate button on our Podomatic page. So again, look us up there. Um, we really appreciate anybody that helps contribute to the show. All those proceeds go directly into keeping us up and running. All right. Well, thanks again to everybody for listening to another episode of the Collector Cast. We'll be coming back and talking to you soon. And uh, thanks again for uh, chatting with me, Krabby. Anytime. Hope to do it again soon. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you again soon.